Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This is the fourth week of our series, Go. Lead pastor, Jeremy Flanagan, explores how we can continue to carry out the vision of bringing the gospel to the world. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's Next Steps. Today is definitely one of those sermons that, uh, for me personally, speaks a whole lot towards the mindset that Christians have to adopt if you're going to step out and do anything at all, but especially if you're going to step out and do something new. If you're going to step out and you're going to be the person that says, what we're doing here, or what we're doing today is going to rest you know, greatly upon my shoulders. And you know that obviously Jesus carries our burdens if we'll let him, but still yet he puts responsibility on us because he tells us to go. He tells us to be the vehicle through which the gospel is spread. He tells us to be the people through who the love of Christ is seen. He tells us to be the ones that go out to build the kingdom of God. And so that's why we worship together. Yeah, it's, it's for ourselves, all right? You can be selfish when you show up here. You can be looking for God to comfort you. You can be looking for God to strengthen you. You can be looking to make connections and relationships with people who help comfort and strengthen you. You can be looking for all those different things. You can be looking for a great place to come and to worship. You can, uh, you know, to, to have people that sound a whole lot better than just you singing in the shower, and you can join with them. And you can look for all the different, you know, stuff that comes from a body of Christ gathered together, worshiping and serving. That's fine. You can come for all those things, because that's why God, you know, instituted a, a group of people to gather together to to move forward is because we need that. He built us that way. But one of the other reasons we're here is not to just stay inside and to enjoy all the things that being with a group of Christians brings us, but it's then turn around and go. You know, week one, we talked about that. We, we saw how that they had 120 people gathered at the ascension of Christ, which is roughly about the number we have in this room every week. And we said, you know, those group of people, they, had, they were given the responsibility of the future of Christianity. The, a group of people the size of what we have in this room were given the responsibility of the future of Christianity. And so what would Christianity look like if that responsibility fell on us? Which it does. Luckily, we're not alone. Because sometimes we get complacent, we get happy with the trappings of Christianity, and we lose the drive to go out and do what God has called us to. Sometimes we, we allow our, our doubts or our, our, our questions and things like that to sideline us when the reality is, is that faith only exists in the presence of doubt. And the same thing with our fears or whatever makes us worried that we're going to fail or we're not going to you know, do what we set out to do. Bravery only exists in the face of fear. And so we have to be ready to go. A couple of weeks ago when we talked about the passage there where the, on the day of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came down and God gave them a miraculous way to connect with everyone present. And what was great about that is that they just woke up that morning and they were gathering together. They had no idea that God was about to use them on that very day to reach people from, from many, many, many different you know, backgrounds, countries, uh, you know, ethnicities, all over the world had gathered in that place because that's what they did in a market. And here they were about to go and reach all of them, and they had no idea about it. If we are open to connecting with others, and for us, and the Apostle Paul said that he works at it. You know, on that day, God just miraculously did it. But Paul had to work at it. We have to work at it. But if we are willing 
to empty just a part of ourselves to go become all things to all people so that we might save some. That's how Paul put it. God will allow us to connect with and to influence and to minister to far greater number of people than we could imagine. And so, but we have to be willing and ready. And that came in last week when we looked at the church of Antioch. The church of Antioch was a group of people um, that it's where they were first started called Christians. And so that's where they were first called Christians, and for very good reason. The church was started from groups of believers out of Jerusalem and out of Judea who were running from persecution. After Stephen was killed, a ton of Christians, uh, Christian Jews, just scattered all over. And so a bunch of them ended up at Antioch up in Syria, uh, just north of Israel. And when they got there, they decided that the gospel was for everyone. And so they just preached the gospel. And so you had Jews saved, you had Gentiles saved, uh, who are just non-Jewish people. And the church, when you see uh, the passage we read that talked about Paul and Silas being sent out, was full of people from all different backgrounds, from Europe, from Asia, from Israel, from Africa, people from all these different you know, cultures and languages and everything else who were all together worshiping in one place because a group of people said, gospel's for everybody. We're not waiting for someone to tell us the gospel is for everybody. We're just going to go live it out. And they loved each other, and they served each other. And it's in that type of environment, when you have a church, when you have a group of people who are, who are gathering together, worshiping God, sharing the gospel, loving each other with the type of example that Jesus gave us, when that is happening, that's when God can really move. Now, God will move through you in spite of, of our weakness, in spite of our lack of enthusiasm at times. But when his churches are out there, and, and when they are doing what God wants them to do, he will turn that, that volume up, and he will start pushing them out and doing even greater things. And that's what our call is, is to be who God wants us to be, actively looking to go, and at the same time, listening for those opportunities and those chances that God is going to give us that we didn't even expect. And so you have to not just simply wait on the sidelines and, and, and just be who God wants you to be and then wait for him to do something. No, Antioch was going. They were doing. They were already reaching people from all over the world who were coming through there and, and, and in the surrounding area. And they were doing that, and then God sent them to do even more. He sent Paul and Barnabas out, or Paul and Silas out at that time, to uh, be the first missionary team to really start expanding Christianity into the world. Now, it was difficult this week. You have no idea the amount of charts and slides I wanted, to, I wanted to present to you. I limited myself to two, which is actually a small number for me. But when you talk about history timelines and you talk about maps and you talk about facts and all these other things, um, that's, that's, that's up my alley, but we need to get out of here before one. And so uh, I've limited myself, but I want to share with you just a few basics from the life of Paul. Because today we're going to look at some of the different areas that he reached, we're going to look at some of the different things and places that he went to. And here in this map that you see on the screen, it may be a little bit difficult and everything else, but uh, you know, this is the maps in the back of your Bibles if you, you know, carry one and you see there. This shows his first and second missionary journeys. And this is what we think about when we think of Paul, right? As him going out and him doing these big journeys. Very bottom right corner at the bottom of the, the red route is Jerusalem. To the north of there, and we had a map a few weeks ago, is where Antioch is at. 
And that were all the arrows, the orange and blue and purple and red. That's Antioch. That was kind of home base, right? Far away from Jerusalem, but it's where he was sent out. The first missionary journey kind of stayed close by, right? It just kind of went from Syria over into kind of modern-day Turkey, uh, down to the island of Cyprus and back again. The second missionary journey is the one where he really expanded and went further out, went across Turkey, uh, up through Asia, over into Macedonia, uh, you know, modern-day Greece, down into Achaia, which is the lower part of modern-day Greece, where like Athens and places like that are, and, uh, and then sailed back, went through southern Turkey to Ephesus and places like that, uh, and came back again. And so this is what we think of when we think about Paul. Now, from the time of his conversion, from the time that he was out there, Saul of Tarsus, Jew of Jews, killing Christians, going and arresting them and turning them over to courts to be uh, either punished or killed, which punished or killed, killing is punishment too. So punished not death and punished with death. Uh, And so while Paul was busy doing that on the road to Damascus, that's when Jesus appeared to him called out to him. His life was forever changed. He realized that he was actually working against God instead of for God. And so from that day forward, Paul's ministry was only around 26 years, or his his free ministry. Around 26, 27 years, depending on what timeline you look at, Paul was from the point of conversion until he was in prison for the rest of his life. So he had about 26 years where he was actually out And going to these places. Then he had nine more years in prison where he wrote a lot of his letters. And so while Paul was in prison, he did a lot of preaching, a lot of teaching, and a lot of ministry. But he had a long ministry. These weren't just, you know, simple things. But the first 12 to 13 years, he didn't even get started going out the door. You think about the fact that he had, say, 26 years of, you know, going on these huge trips... Well, he really only had 13. The first 13, uh, there's a time that he, you know, spent right after his conversion, and then a time that he spent, we're not exactly sure how or where that happened, but that he was, he was instructed by Jesus, which Jesus called out to him on the road to Damascus, so they could figure out the details on making that work. Then he spent time in Tarsus, uh, where he was from. He left there. Barnabas brought him to Antioch, where he ministered there for a long time. Uh, And so Paul did a lot of things for 13 years, and then for 13 years was making these journeys. And then for nine, writing a bunch of letters. You got prison time, you got time to write. And so that was the life of Paul. That was the life of Paul. And so when you look at his journeys today, where we're going to be at mostly is when he goes all the way, about as far northwest as you can, he gets a place like Philippi, where the letter of Philippians is written to. Then he comes to Thessalonica, uh, which is kind of, uh, the, kind of the top left, where the Aegean Sea juts into Macedonia up there. And we're going to be at Thessalonica, Thessalonica, and then after he leaves there, he goes south down to Athens. Um, doesn't get a whole lot done there. And then uh, goes on to Corinth. And uh, that's kind of where we're mostly going to be at today. So in Acts chapter 17, we're going to be in Acts 17 and 18. Scriptures will be on the screen, but I want to kind of give you an overview of Paul's life. I used to think that his missionary journeys probably didn't last that long, because when I thought of missionary journeys, they wouldn't. But no, he spent 13 years doing that and going to a lot of places. However, I also thought all of his life was spent doing that. No, 
Half of it was just doing local ministry where he was at and preparing. And then he went and did all this other. And so here we have Paul. He's already been on one missionary journey. Lots of churches have been started. And so now he goes back. Acts 17 and verse 1. He's already done a lot of different places through Turkey. He's made his way across the Aegean Sea, now over into Greece. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and, and, and I'm not even going to do that word, and then Apollonia and came to Thessalonica where there's a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews were jealous, so they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out of the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. And now they are here disturbing our city too. Jason has welcomed them into his home, and they are all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. It didn't have to be true. It just had to sound really, really bad. In verse 9, So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, and they released them. And that very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And it's not that the believers in Thessalonica here at the end of the story were mad that Paul and Silas got them in trouble. They just didn't want them killed. Because these believers in Thessalonica, there was just a handful of them, but they kept worshiping together and serving. But this is a great example of many of the places Paul went to. Actually, some of the places Paul went to were less fruitful than this. He would get there and pretty much have no traction whatsoever, and then he would leave and move on. And then he comes to a place like this where there are believers and there are people who, who jump in and latch on and, and everything else, but then the community and the, the culture and the governing bodies just rise up against them and put roadblocks in front of them, uh, you know, threaten prison, threaten you know, even you know, death at times. And there are times that Paul is thrown into prison. There are times that he is beaten. And there are so many cases of him, you know, on the, the road doing ministry where horrible bad things happen. And so that kind of happened here at Thessalonica, although there was a good handful of believers. But it's not like he left there and there was a large body. There was a large church that was gathering and worshiping and, and doing that. No, when he left, it was a handful of believers that were willing to risk their lives and and everything else, but he, he left and he went south, and in Berea he didn't have a lot of, of uh, you know, a lot of success. You don't see a letter to the church of Berea. When he went further down and went to Athens, you don't see a letter to the church at Athens. Um, you don't see a lot of these places where we know that there were kind of large organized groups of, of Christians gathering together. Although at Athens there were many people who trusted in Christ, Right? There were people who trusted in Christ at most places. And so, is there anywhere that Paul went that was a failure? No. Because even when the gospel is preached and no one responds, 
That is not failure. That is obedience to God. And the gospel may not evoke a response today, but you don't know what kind of response it may lead to later. So it was never a waste of time, even when Paul literally got run out of town. Even when Paul, you know, had to walk away and many people would feel like, well, that was a lot of time and that was a lot of effort and we didn't see much happen for it. So it was never a waste. But in the middle of it, it can get very tiring, right? In the middle of it, in the middle of life, when you are trying to put time and energy and effort into following God or into trying to make an impact, whether it's in your own personal life, whether it's in your church, whether it's in your community, whether you're simply trying to pour into friends or family and try and help them either you know, further their walk with God or get past a, a rough spot in life or, or, or trying to, to save them from themselves and some bad decisions, um, whatever it is, whenever you pour time and energy into something, no matter how good it is and, and how much you know in your mind, even if they don't respond, it is still worth it. Man, it is hard, and it can be demoralizing. It, it, can, it can discourage you. It can get you to quit trying. It can get you to quit putting yourself out there. And Paul would get beaten every once in a while, would get run out of town every once in a while. He would have some small successes here and there like he did in Thessalonica, and then he moved on. Then you have Acts 18. He gets far enough south, and he finally gets down to Corinth. And down here, things go good. Acts 18 and verse 1. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and there he became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife, Priscilla. And they had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all Jews from Rome. Paul lived and worked with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. And each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue, trying to convince the Jews and Greeks alike. And after Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul spent all his time preaching the word, and he testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So a couple of things here. So first of all, he goes to Corinth, and it sounds like right away he finds some believers. That is good. You know, right away when you have just even a handful of people that have the same focus as you, that have the same beliefs in God as you, that have the same desire to see God's will done in, in wherever you're at, it is encouraging. It is very encouraging. So he finds that right away. Better yet, he needed to make some money. These people were tent makers. He just gets to fall right in line with them and, and work alongside of them to earn the money that he needs to live while he is also trying to preach. So th this gives us a little bit of insight too. You know, last week I touched on it just, just a hair about the church at Antioch. We really don't have a good picture of what it looked like when they sent someone out. Like when, when I came up here to, to start Pathway, uh, I moved up here for the purpose of doing that. This was an area that um, uh, at that time especially uh, had a very low number of people engaged uh, weekly in worshiping Christianity in, in the Fayetteville area. Um, and even, even though since we've been here, there have been some very large churches get started. Um, you know, some of the, the three kind of largest churches in Arkansas having campus plants here and everything else. Fable is still so much lower as far as engagement of people that believe in Christ and actively worship Him than anywhere else in our state. And so Northwest Arkansas as a whole uh, follows suit. And, and so, you know, when I came here and, and was sent out, our sponsoring church back home is a church called East Union. And they sent us out 
uh, and they sent us out with money and saying, we're going to keep sending you money. You know, every so often we've got a, uh, an association of 500 churches in our state that help build the building we're in and buy the land, that help pay our salary, uh, helped, uh, you know, pay the, the bills and everything else. So we had a large network of churches that gave to be able to help us move forward here and do the ministry. Um, now, there's still times when, you know, I, I'll, I do work on the side to supplement my income because we need that money to go elsewhere instead of just uh, Jeremy driving a brand new car. Um, you know, pretty much every staff member here uh, has either is currently doing that or has had to do that where we've had to work to be able to afford to be here to do what we're doing. And we've got a large network of churches helping us. Paul didn't have that. But at some point in time, you see little tidbits in Scripture. Silas and Timothy show up from Macedonia, and Paul goes from tent making during the week and preaching on Saturdays um, uh, on the Sabbath in the synagogues to now, once they show up, he magically just gets to preach every day. Well, they brought support. I mean, that's the only answer there is they came and brought offerings from the church at Antioch and possibly other churches to help support and fund Paul's ministry. So he's at Corinth. He finally has some traction, right? He's got some believers, some strong believers. Uh, He now has the financial means necessary to fully devote himself to preaching the word and to ministering in that area. And in verse 6, so, but when they opposed and insulted him, So he was out preaching, and when people would oppose and insult him, Paul shook the dust from his clothes and said, Your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. So he was preaching to the Jews, and even when they wouldn't listen, he said, That's fine. I got a lot of people to preach to. In verse 7, Then he left and went home, uh, went to the home of uh, Titius Justus, a Gentile who worshiped God and lived next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, and everyone in his household, Believed in the Lord. Many others in Corinth also heard Paul, became believers, and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, Don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. So Paul stayed there for the next year and a half, teaching the word of God. I'm sharing all of this with you because I want you to see a picture of how things went for the person who wrote most of the New Testament, for the person who started, you know, roughly around 20 churches during his short ministry, during his short 13 years, um, the, the person that we credit with so much of the spread of the gospel uh, and everything else, and we're going to finish up this series next week and really look at, at how that happened. But here he had success. He had so much success that the leader of the Jewish synagogue and his household believed in Christ. Other leaders, the person who lived next door to it, believed in Christ. And when that happens, right, the Jews were already mad. And at the point that you start converting their leadership, they're going to get really mad. He just got run out of Thessalonica. He, you know, prison and beatings are something that he just kind of expects are going to happen. And God tells him, not here. Here... I've got a spot for you to stay because I've got so many people here that are ready to listen and to follow and to believe. And so Paul stayed there a year and a half, you know, one of the longest stretches that he spent anywhere. And he was in Antioch for a while, 
But that was an existing church he went to and then helped teach and grow. Here is a brand new place, and he got to stay there for a year and a half and to do, you know, a, a good, strong ministry there. And it got bad. In verse 12, it says, But when uh, Gallio became governor of Achaia, some Jews rose up together against Paul, brought him before the governor for judgment. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to our law. But just as Paul started to make his defense, Gallio turned to Paul's accusers and said, Listen, you Jews, if this were a case involving some wrongdoing or a serious crime, I would have a reason to accept your case. But since it is merely a question of words and names and your Jewish law, take care of it yourselves. I refuse to judge such matters. And he threw them out of the courtroom. And then verse 17 gives you a little bit of a picture about how justice went back then, especially if you weren't a Roman citizen or, you know, and things like that. In verse 17, you know, he said, hey, this is just, this is just words. Y'all are just talking about what you believe. Y'all handle this. Their handling it was the crowd grabbed Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him right there in the courtroom. But Gallio paid no attention. So, I mean, you never see that on, on uh, you know, court TV. But in verse 18, Paul stayed in Corinth for some time after that, then said goodbye to the brothers and sisters and went to nearby uh, Centria. And there he shaved his head according to Jewish custom, marking the end of a vow. Then he set sail for Syria, back home to Antioch, taking Priscilla and Aquila with him. Paul got to go to Corinth after having a rough time. He got support from back home, so he didn't have to keep making tents. He got to fully devote himself to ministry. He, he was doing so well that the natural fear that I'm about to get killed came in, and God spoke to him and said, no, you're good here. I'm not going to allow them to touch you. You keep preaching. And even when they had new leadership in the town and they tried to push to have him thrown in prison or something else, um, the guy said, no. Paul got to leave on his own timetable. He got to leave on his own. So I want to I share this with you before we move on. Some days, life is going to be like Thessalonica. Some days, life's going to be like that. Where all the time and the effort and the energy you put in produces a lot less results than you expect. And some days, life's going to be like Corinth. And the way is going to be easy from day one. Success is just going to keep multiplying in. And you're going to get to be there as long as you want, stay as long as you want, enjoy that time, and see great results. And so, that's just life. Now, I want to also tell you how sometimes life's going to be like Thessalonica. And sometimes life's going to be like Corinth. Remember, Corinth was the good place. Corinth, he got to spend a year and a half. He had the full support he needed to do full ministry. People were converted left and right. It was great. It was successful by every means, by any metric you could have. Here's some of the problems that they had. Let's throw that slide up. So the church was divided on direction, divided among leadership and divided what they were going to do. I mean, Paul had to leave town. He had to go back. And then we have the letters of 1 Corinthians, and we have the letters of 2 Corinthians. And there's actually another letter that he references that we don't have record of. Uh, who knows how bad he had to get onto him then. But 1 and 2 Corinthians gives us a picture of a lot of problems they were having. They were divided on direction, people that they you know, followed and the way that they wanted to go and to minister. Members were suing each other in court. So instead of handling their differences and you know, bringing it to the people and taking care of it as brothers and sisters in Christ. It was going to Judge Judy. Um, immorality was being excused. 
And we're not talking about simple immorality, all right? We excuse a lot of simple immorality, okay? We do. We do. And none of it's good. But they had a, a man who was living with his father's wife, I assume, probably ex-wife at that point in time. Um, and it was happening. And nothing had been done about it. And there was a lot of Im- other immorality that was happening. There were problems within the way that they were looking at marriage relationships and everything else. Um, and so they were divided as people. They were suing each other. There was big-time immorality going on. Um, the communion, the way they did the Lord's Supper was causing more division than it was connectivity. And when we take the Lord's Supper, it's about looking at the accountability and responsibility as a group of people committed to be here together. Uh, that's what we talk about. But for them, they were having you know, meals separated more or less by social class and everything else. It was a mess. And the other mess was is God had given them you know, those miraculous spiritual gifts and people were using it to show out instead of actually doing what they were needing to do with it. And, and he had to give them rules to go by, you know, saying you, you just can't spend all day showing off. If it's not beneficial, don't do it. These gifts are there for you to use, not, not to show how, uh, you know, how important you are. And then when it came to different gray areas that they were struggling with, things about worship and problems they were having with each other, um, discussions about whether they should eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. I mean, the church at Corinth was a mess, it was an absolute mess. Then if you go read 1 Thessalonians, you don't get any of that. Paul's just happy to write to them. The group of people doing what they're supposed to be doing, he's proud of them, hearing all these great things about them, and everything else. So some days, life's going to be like the church of Thessalonica, where nothing goes right. But then down the road that the work you put in there multiplies and it's actually pretty easy and, and good things happen. Someday it's going to be like Corinth where everything goes right. When you fill out a resume, you don't include Berea. You don't include Athens. I was the pastor at the church of Corinth. You know, that's what you put down there. And, and then the other skills, you list the other you know, towns that you went to that didn't have very much. His, his number one thing on his resume, the thing that he would put in reports to go out and raise money. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've I'm not the greatest preacher. You know that. You're here. You hear me. Uh, I'm not the greatest leader. I'm not the greatest at a whole lot of things. But one thing that I got good at over the last 25 years of doing college ministry and preaching is to go out and give reports and raise money. All right? I had to get good out of it. Otherwise, we would have starved here. And so, you know, when I go out and give a report, I'm not talking about Thessalonica at the start. I'm talking about Corinth. And in the end, problem after problem after problem after problem. These people couldn't get it together. The place where Paul spent the most time teaching the longest, instructing the most, man, he had to just keep correcting and correcting and correcting. So how do you move forward with that? Knowing that that's what life, I'm not going to say might be like, that's what life is going to be like when you step out to serve God. It's not going to be a Corinth start with a Thessala, you know, Thessalonica ending, right? It's not going to be everything goes great at the front, and guys, guess what? At the end, there's virtually no problems and everybody's happy, all right? That just hardly ever happens. It's struggle and it's work 
and you get discouraged along the way or at the end of it and you thought things are going well and then it all crashes down and you keep having to go back and fix problem after problem after problem. You can get let down and discouraged. Now I can talk to you all day long about all the different things that pastoring a church from the time it was you know, 11 people to today and, and these type of struggles and these type of things that you have to try and push back but I also want you to think about your life and not just the time that you're trying to invest in the work of God and the time that you try to help us here at the place where you worship move forward and everything else but just in every part of life in every part of life where you're trying to live and be who God wants you to be and in every part of life where you're trying to make as much of a difference as you can right then right there it gets hard Sometimes you try and it seems like you're getting nothing back but, you know, but obstacles. You're getting nothing back but, you know, pushback. You're getting nothing in return but frustration. Sometimes you see some good things happen. And man, you're enjoying it. And then phew, you turn the page and it's all trouble again, all frustration again. How do you keep moving forward? I don't care if it's serving in church. I don't care if it's in your marriage. I don't care if it's raising kids. I don't, I don't care if it's at your work. I don't care where it's at. Wherever you are trying to live and do your best to be who God wants you to be in that moment, life looks like this more than it looks like a highlight reel. So here was what Paul said. Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to wrap up this morning. And he said, talking to them about more or less his pedigree and, and everything that he had that he could talk about how good he was, Paul said, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. A little braggadocious there. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. So no matter how good you think you are, I'm better. Um, verse 5, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So everything that I was told as a kid growing up that you needed to be to be a great religious Jew, I was it better than any of y'all. And in verse 7, I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself Depends on faith. So here Paul starts. And we're going to read a few more verses here in a second. But he starts by telling the church at Philippi that everything he had based his life on. Success, you know, moving forward, you know, attaining his goals. Everything he had learned and based his life on, he was succeeding at. Time and time and time again. He said, better than all the rest of you. I was succeeding at every single thing I put in front of me. 
until I realized those things don't matter. And he said, all of those things that I felt mattered, all those things that I was measuring whether my life was successful were revealed to me to be worthless. Because they were revealed to me to be worthless, I put them aside. And what did he say he did? He just chased after Christ. He believed in Christ. He quit counting on any of his own goodness or anything else he did. He just chased after Christ. And he said that he doesn't count on his own righteousness. He has become righteous through faith in Christ. You know, always, and not every sermon do I end up sharing a passage that really heavily talks about salvation, but this one does. And if you're here, and I've been talking about us going and about what we need to do to share the gospel and about to carry God's work forward in the world around us. But if you're here and you're saying, that's not who I am because I don't even know about my belief in Christ. I'm not even sure about my eternal destination. I have, I have doubts about what all this means. Or, I've, I've, or I, I know I've just never, I've never said, you know what? I'm going to put everything else aside that I thought was worthwhile or I thought was important, and I'm just going to rely on my faith in Christ. If you're here and you've never made that decision, I want you to make that today. I don't want you to wait. I don't want you to think about it again. You've thought about it before. You've thought about it before, and that's why part of the reason you're here. If you're here and you have never made that decision to say, I'm going to not worry about what anything else in my life that I believe gives me worth to others or spiritually or whether I have felt that, well, I need to try and be good enough for God to let me in. Whatever it is, Paul said, all of that stuff is worthless. My faith in Christ is what makes me righteous. That is what lets me live in eternity with God. So if you're here and haven't made that decision, I want you to. But he goes on and he, he talks about a couple of things. And then down to verse 12, he tells them, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So how did Paul go from place to place to place? doing what he knew God had called him to do, most of the time, virtually every time, receiving opposition, most of the time not seeing a ton of results, and still yet wake up the next day and do it all over again. Do it all over again. On a few occasions, like at Corinth, got to stay somewhere for a long time, but a lot of times he would just go and he would do and he would push and push and then he had to go somewhere else. And to feel that kind of rejection or that frustration or that struggle time and time again, how did Paul keep going forward? Well, when we learn that, we can figure out how do we keep going forward every day when we wake up and we see the few successes that we have and we see a lot of our failures. We encounter the struggles that come up in front of us and then we see the obstacles that sometimes we put in our own way. And we try to be who God wants us to be in that day and in that time and in that moment. And sometimes we do it well and sometimes we fail. And some of those times when we do it very well, still we don't see the results we want. We could all sit here and we could talk about personal stories about areas in life that haven't turned out the way we want them to. From our relationships, within our families, um, within our church, within the church that we've been at before. 
in our workplace, in our friendships, in our community. So many things that we can talk about where we have put time and effort in because we know it's what is the right thing to do. And still yet, at the end of the day, we don't see the results. So why did Paul keep going? Because the next step ahead is where God wanted him. All the good things he did behind him are what God wanted him to do. And then the results that were there weren't up to him. They were up to the individuals who heard the gospel. They're up to the people that you try and help or pour into whether or not they accept that and move forward. They're up to our families. If we do what we're supposed to do and we pour into them, whether or not they follow uh, our leadership or, or we, we build the bonds that we want and everything else, we, we can't determine those things. We can determine our effort, right? We cannot excuse someone else's bad behavior because we didn't do what we were supposed to. No, you, you do your effort. There wasn't a place and a time that Paul didn't do what he was supposed to. He went and he did it even if, you know, he, he didn't know what the results would be. God had to tell him, tell him to stay at Corinth because he had no idea how it was going to work out. He just went every place, every day, did the same thing. He went where God wanted him to do and he did what God asked him to do. And there was struggle all along the way. That's what a life-serving God looks like. If you want a different message, Joel Osteen will be on this afternoon. Go listen to him. He can tell you how good it's going to be. He'll tell you how easy He'll tell you how when you do things, God will bless you. Guess what? I agree with that. Because when you do things, God will bless you. God blessed Paul in prison. He blessed Paul when he had failure. And sometimes the blessings didn't come till much later. God will bless you every step that you make. This is in the direction he wants you to go. But the only way you keep making step after step after step is to forget what's behind you, focus what's in front of you, and what you know God wants you to do, and what he puts there. That's what Paul did, and that's why he was so successful in life in the midst of all the failures and frustrations. He kept pushing through. He kept going. As our worship team comes forward and we close up, Paul encountered tons of obstacles. And he encountered obstacles. He encountered opposition. He, he went through a lot of times where his work and his effort, the exact same amount of work and effort he put on over here would produce no results. And the same amount that he would put, sometimes even less over there, he would have a lot. You know, life can be maddening that way. Where we say, I'm doing my best and I'm trying and things just aren't working out. But as believers in Christ, I want to tell you that it is working. Even if you don't see it. Every step you take following God, even if the results aren't there... Those steps following God are molding and making you into the image of Christ. That pays off in ways that you can't imagine down the road. Just like Paul later got to sit back and write a letter to these people at Thessalonica and say, man, y'all are refreshing. Y'all are refreshing. Y'all have got some problems. You have some false teachers that have come in trying to confuse you and some other things. But you're not Corinth. You know, there are times in life when we're going to be able to look back and we're going to see how God has used what we have done and the blessings are going to come later. But to get to those, you need to keep going today and pushing through whatever we face. Thank you for listening. We challenge you to take some next steps this week. One, what obstacles or excuses have kept us from living and serving the way we know God wants? Decide what is needed to remove those from your path 
and ask a friend to hold you accountable. Two, we can get through adversity. You have people around you at Pathway that can encourage you from personal experience. Listen to the Pathway podcast to hear some of those stories. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect.